This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Jen Edwards. She is an intuitive energy healer born in Zimbabwe and who lived in South Africa for a long time. She is currently loving living in Leeds and healing globally. She is an accredited healing facilitator using the emotion code and the body code and has been practicing as a healer since 2015 when she got her first energy healing qualification. She has helped hundreds of people all around the world with emotional, physical and mental issues by helping to sort out old emotional baggage that no longer serves them and that leads to stress and disease. She works on the premise that our bodies have a powerful ability to restore our own health if conditions are right. So she tries to make the conditions right with the right energy balance. So we had a saying in Zimbabwe which was a brick and a ticky high. Say that again. I didn't have the ability to question my belief system and to say, is this true? Um, I just didn't, I couldn't cope with it. So I didn't cope with it. I just shoved it down. So then I bombed completely my first year of university. I hardly ever went to lectures. And my parents were incredibly supportive and just kept on sending me this unconditional love. And he said something to me about something. I can't honestly remember what it was, Madeleine, but he said something which triggered me. And I got a bit swimmy-eyed and trembly-lipped. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Jen? I go to an energy healer. Would you like her details? And she put her wrist on my finger. She was a kinesiologist energy healer. So she tested with her body. She put her wrist on my finger and she said to me, who abandoned you? I started to like myself. Yay! (laughs) So welcome to the show, Jen. How lovely to have you here. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so excited. Thank you. A pleasure. So the very first question that I ask every guest that comes on the show, because we are called Unbroken, is what does the word unbroken mean to you? Yes, well, the thing, the, the image that immediately springs to my mind when I hear the word unbroken is an image of a tree or a sapling which kind of bends and waves in the wind and doesn't snap because it's resilient enough to move with the wind and to go with the flow, as opposed to being um, this really rigidly rooted tree, which if put under too much pressure, will find that its branches snap off and, and bits of it fall off and that bits of it break. And so for me, that is unbroken. It's the ability to be resilient and to recover yeah, and to go with the winds, to go with the storms that come, but to remain rooted or to remain grounded in the earth. That's a brilliant uh, description of it. I love it. Thank so, you. Yeah, so life started for you in Zimbabwe, and you know that you were adopted at birth. Do you know much yes. about your adoption story? or? Um, I found out more about my adoption story in the last year or two than I had for all of my previous years. So I'm 64 now. So essentially for more than 60 years, I had very, very little information about my adoption. I knew, I knew right from the get-go 
So we had a saying in Zimbabwe, which was a brick and a ticky high. And that okay. means say that age, say that again. A brick and a ticky high. A brick now, a and ticky, a ticky high. A ticky was a little coin, like okay. a two and a half cent coin. And so a very flat little coin and a brick. So I knew from right from tiny. I can never remember a time not knowing that I was adopted. Okay. And I was adopted into a stunning, wonderful, loving, embracing, unconditionally loving family. I was such a lucky kid. Mm -hmm. I was I was always very transparent about being adopted. I used to speak about it freely and say, I'm the luckiest kid on the block. I always knew. And yet there was at the core of me, there was what I call a mother wound. There okay. was this hole. There was this gaping chasm where she should have been and she wasn't. Okay. So despite having that amazing supportive environment to grow up, it sounds like you just never felt that you were quite enough or 100%. part of you was missing. 100%. I felt, um, I, I, I never felt enough. I think that's like the core underlying message that has run through my life is not enough. And I, I think I never dealt with it. I never asked my adoptive parents, why did you adopt me? I never asked them for the story of my mother. I never asked, did you know my mother? I never asked anything about her because it felt so disloyal. Okay. So I'm hearing you didn't ask the questions, but inwardly, were you asking yourself those questions? Were you must, you know, having, wondering about the, the answers to those questions? Yes, I did. Yeah. I absolutely wondered about the answers. I wondered why didn't she want me? Why did she? And I almost had a mental image in my mind of her throwing me away because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough for her to want to keep me. And and I had this image of her getting rid of me. And I knew as I got, you know, into, I guess, early 20s, maybe mm -hmm. late teenagers, I realized in my head. So the adult part of me knew mm -hmm. that she grew up or she was living in a very patriarchal supposedly christian society very judgmental very conservative society which was zimbabwe in the 1950s very small world and she would have been in a very hard place if she didn't have the support and the structures around her that she needed in order to have an illegitimate child she would have been very judged mm -hmm. i knew this as an adult and, you know, I talk about my head and my heart. Yes. My head. They don't always join up, do they? <laughs> no, no. My heart never understood until literally within the last year or two. Then my heart started to understand. Mm -hmm. But for most of my life, even though I knew it wasn't true, I believed that she was not wanting me because I wasn't good enough. So my message for me was, I'm not good enough. That's uh, quite a, a stamp that you put on yourself, really, isn't it? Yes. And I, I never dealt with it because I never asked my parents. And I think if my parents had told me the story, I might have been able to get some resolution. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. So I didn't ask the story. And I found that I didn't sit with this. And every time I thought about this, I slammed a lid on it. I pushed it away. I didn't deal with it. I didn't try to process it. I didn't try to ask myself, is this true? Is it rational? 
I just shut the lid on it because I did not have the emotional intelligence. I didn't have the emotional competency. I didn't have the ability to question my belief system and to say, is this true? Um, I just didn't, I couldn't cope with it. So I didn't cope with it. I just shoved it down. But I think when, I when, yeah, I think when we do stuff things down, you know, they have to come out somehow. So did it have an impact on your behavior? I mean, when you were growing up as a teenager or something, did, you know, what did it do to you? Yes, it did have an impact on my behavior. I think that when we don't deal with this stuff, it does impact our behaviors. I also think that I had very low self-esteem. I think I had, in terms of my understanding now and the work I do now, we talk about broadcast messages and belief systems. Mm -hmm. I think I was broadcasting out messages saying to the world, I'm not good enough. Yeah. I was sending out messages saying I have no self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I was sending out messages saying I'm just completely negative about myself. I had a, a, a sort of a, a thing in my life where my glass was always half empty. It was never half full, okay. regardless of being in this wonderful family and being loved. I, I played out as, as I became a teenager. I started bunking school. Mm -hmm. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. I started uh, self-abusive behaviors such as experimenting with alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. The crowd I was with, looking back now retrospectively, I can see quite clearly that the people I was engaging with were like me. They were people who had low self-esteem. They had lots of issues with self-love and self-acceptance. And I gravitated towards these because they resonated with me on Absolutely. a subconscious Absolutely. So you call it broadcasting. I kind of feel like we fly a flag. And we recognize our other flag flyers that have got the same flag. So, yeah, we do. We radiate towards our tribe, so to speak, the people exactly. that we resonate with. Absolutely. Exactly what I did. And I think luckily for me, uh, what happened was I was hanging out with this crowd. I was had a boyfriend and, and the boys that I attracted were always the wrong boys, you know, the wrong kind mm -hmm. of boys who were not good for me. And the particular boyfriend that I was with when I was doing the drugs was a young man who then subsequently got arrested for dealing in drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know that he was a drug dealer. And when he got arrested, it filtered through to me because the police got hold of me mm -hmm. and they asked me questions about him and they told me that he'd been arrested. So he was, as far as I recall, he was put out on bail and he skipped the country. And that was a very good thing for me because my parents now were alerted to the fact that, I mean, I, I used to, Madeleine, I used to sneak out of the house at night when my parents thought I was asleep. I would sneak out of the house to be with these people. And so my parents were now alerted to the fact that I was hanging with the completely the wrong crowd and that I was behaving inappropriately. And so they then curtailed my activities but nonetheless, I still bunked school. I would I would bunk classes. I would mm -hmm. go and lie by the school swimming pool rather than go to my geography lecture or whatever. And this was in my final year at school. So I think because of the low self-esteem, I kept on proving to myself how useless I was and how not enoughness I was by my behavior, by my results at school. I scraped a university entrance. I then went off to a university in a different city mm -hmm. where effectively... I hung out on the beach and I worked in a pancake bar. So then I bombed completely my first year of university. I hardly ever went to lectures. 
And my parents were incredibly supportive and just kept on sending me this unconditional love. And looking back now as an adult, I mean, I think that's amazing that I was so loved and supported. They said, mm -hmm. what do you want to do? And we figured that I would go to another school. I went to a college, which was much more structured and had lectures and had attendance roll calls. Um, and it was followed up with if I didn't attend lectures. So I did, I finished my qualifications. I finished my, I got a diploma in fine arts and then I went off to get a job. And because my belief system around my worth mm -hmm. was that I wasn't worth much. I found a repeating pattern in my life of lack of abundance. And this was because I would apply for a job and I would accept the lowest salary mm -hmm. being offered. I've never had the courage or the confidence or the self-belief, even though I had a fabulous qualification and I was quite good at what I did. I didn't have the belief systems which said, you're good enough for more money. Yeah, it's, it's like I'm hearing that you kind of just stayed in the shadows. You never pushed yourself forward. You never, didn't want to shine in any way. Just, you know, don't pay attention to me because I'm not really worth it. Yes, I think so. And I think also what happened was I had weight issues all of my life mm -hmm. where I would do yo-yo dieting. So I would lose the weight, I would put the weight on. I would lose the weight, I would put the weight on. And I think this, again, is self-abusive behaviour. Yeah. So the self-talk of I'm not good enough, um, oh, well, why would I apply for that job? They won't want me. Mm -hmm. Why would I want more money? I'm obviously not worth earning the money. The the, the self-abusive behaviours of eating the wrong foods, of just proving to myself the whole time yeah. that I wasn't good enough and proving that my mother who left me didn't find me good enough and therefore let me prove to myself and to everyone else that I'm not good enough. So you're really perpetuating all your negative internal chatter. So how did it change? How did you switch it around? It took a little while, didn't it? It took me a long time. I think the thing, one of the things that changed for me was I met the most astonishing and wonderful man who I'm still with today, 36 years later. Oh, lovely. And we got married and he he was just incredible. I mean, he, he loved me unconditionally. He still does. Mm -hmm. I have two incredible sons who I just love so much and they love me. Mm -hmm. And Why wouldn't they? Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, they were... You know, and I think when I had my sons, I found it, I revisited my mother because mm. then I held my sons in my arms and I thought, how could she? I know. How could she let this go? How could she give this away? And, and then for me, also a mum of three, I think how hard must it have been to let you go? You know, there's yes. there's both sides really, isn't there? The, I couldn't imagine anything more painful actually. It makes me quite upset even thinking about it, just to be, to be in that predicament where you think that's your only choice actually I can't look after this child somebody else would do a better job yes whatever her thought process was so yes painful painful decision yes 100 yes. percent and I I knew that with my head yeah. I knew it with my head I got to a place in my head where I looked at her situation I looked at where she grew up and I knew where she grew up because that's where I grew up yeah. I knew that she I knew it with my head. I knew that with my head she did the best she could for me and that it came from a place of love. Mm -hmm. But my heart never understood. Yes. My heart just never got the dialogue. It never got the story. It never got the, 
the message. My heart just kept on saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Let me prove how, how not good enough I am by not being consistent. So when I started a consultancy after I was probably in my late 40s or early 50s, I started working for myself and I found that my income was always swings and roundabouts. Mm -hmm. I would make a lot of money and then I would make no money and then I would make a lot of money and I would make no money. It was like the yo-yo dieting. Yes, it's a bit of a, a theme going on, isn't there? Yo-yo uh, money and yo-yo weight. Yes, yes. Mm. And I could never, um, I could never bring consistent money into my life. I could never consistently start earning what I was worth with my skill set. And then it changed. I uh, I went to a financial consultant. Mm -hmm. Now this is really weird. He was a man, and he was a financial consultant. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him about what I could do about investing for retirement and so on and so on and how I could manage my money better. And I was in my, my 50s. I was probably about 54, 55. And he said something to me about something. I can't honestly remember what it was, Madeleine, but he said something which triggered me. And I got a bit swimmy-eyed and trembly-lipped. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Jen? I go to an energy healer. Would you like her details? And I thought, well, okay, you know, this is interesting. Not the kind okay, of person the, I would... I was just exactly what I was going to say, which shouldn't be stereotyping people, but not the kind of person you imagine would go to an energy healer. No. Mm -hmm. I think what happens is I think doors open and people appear. Yeah. I think that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I believe that completely. But you have to walk through the door. The door can open. It can take us many times to get the courage to walk through that door. Yes, yeah. exactly. But you were ready at that point. I think I was ready on some level. I don't know what level I was ready on, and I hadn't really consciously thought I was ready. Mm -hmm. But he, he introduced me to this energy healer and also to a coach. And I started working with the coach who did family constellation work with me. And for anyone who's not familiar with that, it is uh, she was a side psychiatrist or psychologist and what you do with family constellation work is you you work with a group of people who you don't know mm -hmm. and you go into a room and my story that I wanted to work with was being adopted so I would there were people in the room who would volunteer okay I'll stand as Jen's biological mother and someone else would stand as Jen's adopted mother and the family dynamics, so the biological parents and the adopted parents and the brother. And so in the family constellation, what you do is as the main role player, you sort of move people around to how you feel they should be in relation to you, literally standing physically in a room and where people are. You're kind of directing your life story, really, aren't you, in a way? Directing your life story, but it's quite weird what happens. It's, it's quite astonishing what happens. Because the people who take on the role of mother, father, brother, whatever, say the most unexpected things and then they move themselves away from you or further away from you or closer to you. And anyway, I started doing that work with the coach and then with the healer. Mm -hmm. What happened was I went to her and she was an intuitive energy healer, which I'd never heard of before. I had done Reiki in the past. I had done one or two sessions of Reiki and not been engaged with it I didn't mm -hmm. find I, 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 I'm the kind of person who likes to know I like to measure things mm 
I like okay. I need to measure things. And I couldn't measure anything with That's Reiki. It's a felt thing, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't notice any changes before and after. So the thought of going to an intuitive energy healer, I kind of went because he'd suggested it, not because I really thought. Okay, so you're a bit cynical is what you're saying. <laughs> hugely cynical. Okay. Hugely, hugely cynical. Yeah. I went to her with no agenda. I went to her with no purpose. I didn't go to her with uh, um, any ideas of working with something. I just thought, let's see what comes up. Let's see what happens. And she put her wrist on my finger. She was a kinesiologist energy healer so she tested with her body she put her wrist on my finger and she said to me who abandoned you mm-hmm. and you know Madeleine I honestly nearly fell off her bed yeah it must she have been like an arrow shot into your heart in that moment yeah yeah she didn't say who cheated on you she didn't say who abused you mm-hmm. she didn't say who betrayed you or who beat you she said who abandoned you and so I thought at the time well there's no way that this is random absolutely no way that this is a lucky hit it was too personal and it was too real for my situation for for it to be a random thing Mm -hmm. so I worked with her for I'm still working with her now Mm -hmm. Uh, it's kind of nine years later eight or nine years later And as I was working with her, and what I did initially was, because I didn't have a great deal of abundance, I went to her when I could afford to. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I started working with other things. I started working on self-development, which had never occurred to me to do before in my life. I read books by uh, Louise Hay. Mm -hmm. I read um, Dr. John Demartini's book about gratitude, started practicing gratitude. I read Joe Dispenza's book Mm -hmm. about breaking the habit of being yourself, in which he talks about, we know that there's a, 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 we know that there's a pattern that we have, but we don't know how to break it. I started working with that. I started working with reading Dr. Bruce Lipton's work. He is a He's a biologist, but he's a particular type of biologist, and the word escapes me. He he recommended someone called Rob Williams, who Mm -hmm. who taught something called Psyche. Mm -hmm. And Psyche is about limiting and releasing negative belief systems, identifying and then releasing them. And I I was working with my healer, and I was also working with myself. You were doing a lot of homework in the background. You know, I am an ex-psychotherapist, or still a psychotherapist, I guess. People would come for the session, and you know the good ones, but what I went away, and I thought about that, and I did this, and someone went, yep, how's it been? Oh, I haven't really thought about the session. So you really went away and did your homework. I really went away and did my homework. And I think it was because I was ready. I was sick and tired of carrying this thing about my mother I was sick and tired of looking inside myself and finding myself wanting. Mm -hmm. I was fed up with being this person whose glass was always half empty. I didn't want to be that person anymore. I didn't like that person. I wanted to be a different person. And so I did the work. I started learning. I actually went and trained in Psyche Mm -hmm. and I started identifying 
with the subconscious because the subconscious runs us, according to Dr. Bruce Lipton, it runs us at least 95% of the time. So we have this underlying message, this tape, if you like, that goes around and goes around and says, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Whatever the limiting belief systems yeah. are that, that you have. And so I worked with Psyche in releasing my own limiting belief systems. And then because I was working with this emotion code and body code healer, and because the results were so profound, because I started to like myself. Yay! Yay. <laughs> yeah. But how many years, Jen, did that take you? Well, I said to you, I'm still working with her now. Yeah. It's about eight or nine years later. No, but I mean from birth to what age did you finally oh. think, I like myself. I'm actually not just okay. I, I'm, I'm brilliant. I'm really okay. Yes. How, how many years did that take? What age were you? I was in my late 50s. Yeah. And I know we had a little chat before and you said, you know, some of my stories that I have on here are very big. But I think so many more people will relate to you just coming from a place of self-doubt and negativity and lack of confidence and to hear that actually it's not somewhere that we get to just you know we don't just get there it takes effort it takes intention and it takes journeying and you know really putting in the work so it's good to hear that you can get there in the end is what I'm saying yes yeah absolutely you can get there in the end and I think for me the thing was that I I didn't have a life-changing event like you did, mm -hmm. like a, a thing that happened in a day or two. I had a I had an event that I never dealt with. It wasn't. It was something I knew right from the get-go. Like I said, when I was a brick in a ticky high, I knew that I was adopted. I never dealt with being adopted because I felt so guilty about the fact mm -hmm. that my parents had loved me so much, and yet I still had this mother wound. So I never dealt with the mother wound. I never tried to heal the mother wound until I got to a place where I was just fed up. I had enough of being this person who didn't see herself as being good enough. And and that's when and I thank started. Thank goodness you got so fed up because I think sometimes we have to think, okay, enough. It can't be any worse. I'm going to go and try and fix this or I'm fed up of feeling like this or behaving this way. So it's really when our awareness grows, doesn't it? And we can see the price that we pay for the, our thoughts or our behavior. And you think, no, it, I don't deserve to treat myself like this anymore. Yes. Yes. So it's very much for me, it's been very much a journey from chaos to calm. It's been very much a journey to of, of self-acceptance to self-healing to self-love. And it's been a step-by-step -step process. And I have been supported on the way by working with coaches, by working with healers, and by working with myself to the place where I am in a place now where I could never have imagined myself being. I am, I am happy. I am successful. I am confident. I am optimistic. And... I'm able to help others to do the same thing. Which is and fantastic. So you yes. are now the energy healer that you went to see, or you're, you're one of these people that you got support from. Yes, I'm one of those people that yeah. I got support from. Yeah. And I'm able now to help others in their journey to love to love and confidence in, in within themselves. And, and because of the way the world is now, you don't need to be physically face-to-face -face with someone, and you literally help people all over the world, don't you? 
Yes, I do help people all over the world. I think because I'm using energy, it doesn't matter where in the world you are, I can access your energy and I can release from you what needs to be released. I'm still working with my energy healer who I started working with in Johannesburg. She's still in Johannesburg and now I have relocated to Leeds. I'm still working with her today and I'm still having wonderful results with her. So I believe that I will keep on healing for the rest of my life. I, was I don't. To, I was totally agree. I think we're always improving and, and polishing that diamond. You know, when we arrive, I think we're a bit like a piece of charcoal, but we just polish it and polish it and polish it. It's, we're never finished polishing. Yes, I, I love what you say. I am so resonating with what you say. I think it is so true. We complete. We're always polishing the diamond. We're always looking for the next thing, and because. Um, you know, because I keep on working on myself, new vistas open for me. I'm doing things I never dreamt I would do. I've written a book. You've Yay. written a book. I mean, you know how that feels. Did you yes. ever imagine you would write never. a book? <laughs> there you go. Never. Never, yeah. of course yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. Astonishing things um, that have, that have, I, I, I'm, I'm doing other things. I'm training other people um, mm-hmm. to be healers in, in the kind of healing modality that I do. Not um, emotion code and body code, but I do group healing. I heal groups of people and I'm writing material to to help people to do that. I mean, that blows me away because I never dreamt I would do that. So if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger Jen? What advice would you like to be able to give her if you could? I think I would say it's up to you. I think I would say... Until you are able to look at yourself and accept yourself and love yourself enough to want to change yourself, until you are able to make those changes, you'll stay the same. You'll never be the the one, you'll never be the person you want to be. You'll never be the person who's free of this baggage until you want to make the change yourself. And it's up to you. It's not, you know, it's not my mother's fault that I had this belief. She didn't look at me and say, oh, you're not enough. I don't want you. She wanted me and she loved me. But I, until I acknowledged that with my heart, I wasn't able to acknowledge it more. So I think it's about yourself. I think you yourself have to be responsible and accountable for your healing. And you have to want to heal. Yeah, and I love that advice to yourself because in some ways... It's not really advice. It's actually just saying when you're ready, you will do the work. So it's putting no regrets on yourself for all it took you to your 50s to get to that space of acceptance. It's like when the doors open, they will open. And when I'm ready to face it, I will face it. So it's actually just being okay with where you're at, isn't it? Yes, I love that. It's being okay with where you're at and, and knowing that where you're at is the best place for you right now and saying, I don't always have to be here. I can move forward if I choose. Yes. And we should just fill in a little bit of the adoption story because I know you went on to one of these um, ancestry sites, it was 23andMe, and you discovered you had some (laughs) brothers and sisters, didn't you? Isn't that astonishing? Yeah. Yes, I did. And it it was not long ago. It was probably about two years ago or about two years ago we are joined 23 and me and I did it because one of the coaches that I had worked with in this journey one of the coaches said to me Jen I think you really need to resolve your 
parental mm-hmm. ancestral issues and I was hugely resistant it took about a year for me to get to a place where I could I could do that because I'd always said I don't care I don't want to know who she is she left mm-hmm. me why should I want to know who yes. she is so I joined 23andMe and someone popped up and long story short I found family possible family in Bulawayo in which is where I was born yeah. and then uh, about a year later after that I contacted this this all led to someone who knew someone else who knew someone else who said oh I know someone who facilitates the recovery of original birth certificates from the department of home affairs I don't know who they are I can't remember in Zimbabwe so I started working with her and it took a year for me to get my unabridged birth certificate when I did, I discovered that, yes, there was a connection with the family in Zimbabwe and that my biological uncle had moved because the family in Zimbabwe had the family tree, but there was a bit of a missing link. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's this man who was a missing link. He moved to Nottingham and I had a copy of his death certificate. And so I contacted a company here in Leeds who specialize in finding adoption families Mm -hmm. and she contacted she found someone in south africa a sibling a a, a brother a younger younger brother in his 50s and um she contacted him and madeleine huge huge gratitude i cannot tell you i was in a space now where she had reached out to this man with an email Mm -hmm. and she said to me jane i've i've contacted him and we now have to wait and see if he will contact you and gratitude to my family, my biological family, because they responded. And do you know that I think if they hadn't, it would have made me devastate you. Yeah. Devastated. And they did. No. They did. And you've met two of them in real life, haven't you? I've met two of them on WhatsApp. Oh. Um, you know, because they're in Jahan. One, one is in Cape Town, one is somewhere in, in Richards Bay or somewhere in Natal. I've been in contact with the third on email and the fourth I have I have known I haven't I don't even know what his name is. And, and were they aware of you? Did they, no. your mum ever tell them? No, she they no. didn't know. Okay, oh. it was a huge shock to them. Okay. And I think um, some of them are very resistant to believing that this is possible. Although ironically, apparently I look more like her than any of them do. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's hard because then it maybe alters their image of who they thought their mum was and she was a secret holder while she was their mother and and that's hard as well, isn't it? I think it's very hard for them. Um, It was was a big shock and and, and I'm so grateful that they A, agreed to, to contact me and B, agreed to speak to me. But the wonderful thing about it is that it has reaffirmed for me the value of my adoption. It has reminded me that I really was the luckiest kid on the block. It has reminded me of the unconditional love that my adoptive parents had for me and my brother. And it has reminded me of, for me, the value was in nurture, not in nature. Because I have a connection with the people who adopted me. I have a connection with their family. So I talk about cousins and aunts and uncles. I have a connection with them. My siblings, bless their cotton socks, I, I, I don't really have a connection with it all. I've, I, you know, we've spoken, but there's only blood. 
And that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Nature versus nurture. (laughs) But just before we sign off here, Jen, do you have any advice for anyone listening at the moment that might have similar struggles of, you know, lack of self-esteem and self-confidence? Because that's really what it is. And and listening to our negative chatter, what would you say to someone listening in? I'd say do the work. I'd say have a look at yourself. Start reading the books. There's loads of self-help out there. There's loads of modalities that you can use that will start pulling you from a place of negative self-talk and self-abusive behavior towards yourself. Start looking for the good. Start looking for the love. Start looking for the worth. Do the work. I would say honestly do the work. And go for counseling. Go for therapy. Do whatever resonates with you. Do what you think will help you. And just imagine where you might be. I love that's a wonderful way to end. Look for the good and look for the love. So thank you, Jen, for coming on the show. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you so much. It's been lovely speaking to you. And thank you for being, I think, incredibly inspirational. Thank you. Unbroken healing through storytelling if you haven't already go on download subscribe give us a five-star rating it really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible there is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon unbroken healing through storytelling playing now on all the main platforms including apple podcasts spotify stitcher for android google podcasts amazon music and here play unbroken the podcast with madeline black